The internet's full of true crime podcasts. More and more are added to the list every day. Figuring out where to start or where to go next can be overwhelming. But have no fear, I'm here to help. I'm Bob Ruff, and this is the place to find your next true crime binge. I'm joined today. This this is the first time we've had a uh, a non podcaster true crime guest on the show. I'm I'm super excited to talk to you because I'm I'm actually familiar with your son's case from a podcast from a few years ago. I'm joined today by Ruth Markle, uh, who is the author of the book that is. I'm, and I'm assuming Erica's uh, arranging our release schedule, so this will come out about the same time that your book comes out, um, uh, sometime here in in September. Uh, Ruth Markle is the author of the new book called The Unveiling. How are you doing, Ruth? I'm great, and thank you for being here. I really enjoyed the opportunity to be on the, the crime binge, yes. Yeah, I'm, we're super excited to have you. Um, so, so real quick, now before we get into your, your authoring, um, I have in my notes, did you actually some consult or were a part of the wonder? So for those of you, and I think we actually had the host on this show a couple years ago, um, the podcast by Wondery called Over My Dead Body, season one, was about your son's case. Now, did you actually consult on that? Yes, we were interviewed as well. We actually were part of the, uh, I don't remember which episode, and, you know, they had a, at least six episodes, and they might have used our our presentation in between our interviews, but yes, and uh, it was, really has done very well. So it's been a certainly an exciting uh, situation. It also. Uh, just to bring you up to date, uh, I believe that Apple bought it for a TV series um, with some changes a little bit, but in any way, uh, based on mostly on the podcast. Oh, that's awesome. So you've had. Yes, big news. Yeah, quite a bit of exposure in your son's case. Now, you are uh, an author and a public speaker. Uh, so what type of, what other books have you written? Is it all, is it true crime stuff? And what is it you speak about? I absolutely never did true crime. True crime is a late event in my life. Mm -hmm. So basically, I'm a, I have a management consulting firm. I started writing books in the early uh, 70s and 80s. And uh, what happened was I rose up the ladder in my management consulting uh, career and in my social work career, which is the first part. I was interested in resources and organizational planning. And this is the 60s, 70s, 80s, early. Nobody wants to do anything with those kinds of topics. Right. So what happened was um, I started to have a, I was a very senior level. And then a, a, several publishers approached me. You have to start to do a book on negotiating skills for women, on leadership skills for women, and so on, which I did. And um, so it started out, I thought I'm writing a professional book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, sort of like how to do negotiating skills. But then in the end, after the bidding process, Penguin wanted it for the subway. So in other words, any woman who was driving the any woman who was on the subway, you know, could certainly have an easy, you know, self-help guide. And this was really early. This was 80, 82 and so forth. Mm -hmm. So it took me a few more years to to actually write it for the subway, as I would say. Okay. And then later on, it was published in England and in Germany. And um, in, in Quebec, so I'm a Canadian, I come from Montreal, 
and they're living today in Toronto. And at that time, uh, La Presse Publications, which is a major French organization, I wanted five different topics, like the management game, how women should play it, the career game, and so forth. So I'm on my 10th book now. This is the unveiling is my 10th book. Oh, wow. And uh, and as you said, the first time you, you've gotten into true crime at all, which is because you're connected to this case, obviously. Have you had any interest in, in true crime prior to this, as far as just as a consumer of books or TV or podcasts or anything? Yes, I do. I did. I do like to watch uh, Law and Order. I tend to watch certain, you know, the L.A. Law years ago, certain of the programs on TV. Mm-hmm. And I do. I will read, but I won't tell you that I'm like coming at it from being a past fan of, uh, you know, true crime reading. But I, I, I do appreciate it. That's great. And and you've taken it a step further. So you, you've written this. You consulted on the podcast in 2019 on um, Over My Dead Body. Uh, and, and now you're writing the book, but you, you actually put forth, you, you've helped push forward some legislation in Florida. Is, is that right? Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, I'll just go back a little bit. Uh, so I participated on the podcast. I participated on Dateline, NBC and ABC, who've done many programs, uh, on the Dan Markell murder, unfortunately. And um, as a result of that, um, we were in participating, it's it's eight years, unfortunately, since Danny was murdered, just finished eight years, July 19th, and it happened in 2014. And uh, and as a result of that, I started to record, not as record in in, um, sound, but to keep a record of some of the incidents of the crime and so forth. And what happened was in the first two years, we were able to visit my American grandchildren who live in Florida. That's Danny's little boys after his murder. Mm -hmm. But then later on, after the arrest, um, we were no longer able to visit our grandsons. We were cut off. And this got me to start to think, okay, how am I going to try to reestablish? I mean, that's a loss, almost equivalent. In, in reality, because the Dan's death is terrible. The murder is terrible. But when you're living and you know you have access to children, right, your grandchildren, mm-hmm. you want to be able to do something because they're alive. They're not, you know, this is no finality here. So what happened was um, for about three years, I, I waited. I got advice. I didn't do anything because I was also in my grief, which comes back to what the book is about in a minute. And at that point, I decided three years later, I had an opportunity that I asked somebody who approached me, can she help me? And I said, yes, grandparent alienation, which, by the way, is a huge social problem on its own. And what happened then is in Florida, this is uh, now in 2019. And then in 2020, we had a, a bill which was passed in the Senate, but it didn't get to the legislature. And in 2021, We did a workshop on bill language, but in 2022, this is just now, we had great success and we passed the grandparent legislation bill in Florida, which allows visitation for families when the natural parent has been involved in a criminal or civil suit. And therefore the grandparents can go to the court and ask to have a visit. So it's called the Markell Act informally. Mm -hmm. It was just passed. Uh, in January 24th, 2022, Governor DeSantis signed it. So this has really been 
you know, considering you're coming from grief, this is really uh, an area of how, you know, to move from grief to advocacy to promise. So it, it was a big achievement. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And it, it is very specific, the circumstances, right, for it. It's if if one, if a parent is killed and it now does the, the surviving parent, I know they had, there has to be some situation where they're involved in something criminally, but is it that they have to be, have been implicated in some way in the death of the other parent or just they're implicated in any crime at all? It's really pretty much, you know, insinuated, let's put it this way, to the death of the other parent. Prior to this legislation, Florida law had, if a parent, a natural parent um, had convicted, uh, committed, I should say, a felony, at that point, there there was a piece of legislation already. But it's, this is kind of getting very close to the implication in the deceased parent's um, situation. Okay. Um, so let's, before we start talking about the book, tell me a little bit about your son. As you've, you've mentioned, he was, he was murdered in 2014, about eight, just over eight years ago. Um, uh, he was, he was a very successful attorney. Just uh, tell us a little bit about Dan. Sure. Okay. So Dan, uh, so as much as this is a very big American story, Dan was actually born in Montreal, grew up in Toronto until he was about 18, 19. He always wanted to go to Harvard. Well, he had three choices. Harvard, uh, in his mind, I'm talking about Prince, mm-hmm. Princeton and Yale. And we used to bug him. He better have a Canadian backup plan. But we did. he did that to appease us. But he did get into Harvard. He went to Harvard Law School. He um, Later on, after he finished law school, he went for a year in Israel uh, to study. And then he went to Cambridge, England, and got another master's degree in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Came back to Harvard law school and finished there in 2001. He later clerked uh, for Judge Daly. And then after that, he um, he came back and he worked in Washington uh, in a boutique firm. So he had a phenomenal kind of academic background and achievements. And he also started, part of why he had a lot of international acclaim, he, he started something called Prof's Blog in 2005 so he was he was a tremendous fan of the internet social media also for facebook all his children's pictures were up there all the time but prof's blog really you know kind of also initiated this sort of younger generation he wasn't old anyway but you know it's kind of a group following because they really like you know social media it was young lawyers and young law students and after that he went to um FSU, Florida State University, to become a professor, which was also one of his inclinations. And um, and so this is his sort of background professional life. He wrote a lot. He's very, very well known. He wrote a book and he, he's, he has a high level of output because he really, unfortunately, he, he died and was murdered at 41 years old. Mm-hmm. But he has a tremendous amount of academic writings behind him. And when he died, he was working at Florida State University. Is that right? Or was he had some connection to the university? So leading up to, and I I know there's some things you can't talk about. So I guess you can, you can stop me if I'm getting somewhere that we we can't, um, can't discuss, but it's at some point he marries uh, a woman named Wendy Adelson uh, and they're married 
uh, they have how many kids? They married in 2006, and they had two children, two boys, Benjamin and Lincoln. Benjamin was born in 2009 and Lincoln in 2020, 2010, yes. Okay. And then in, in 2013, they, they got divorced. And, and one thing that I found in, interesting about this story, and the first time I covered the story, uh, I found it interesting, is I actually went through something very similar to what um, Dan went through, uh, where um, I was divorced, and my wife, my ex-wife, was from Colorado, and we lived here in Michigan. And after we got divorced, she wanted to move away with my son. Um, she wanted to move back and in, in her case, she wanted to move back to Colorado. Uh, and it was a grueling legal battle that took almost a year for me to fight her, not be able to, not to be able to leave with my, with my son. You know, there were the, the arrangement they wanted was that I would, you know, I would see my son for, you know, at Christmas time and a few weeks in the summer. And that would be, that would be it. I wouldn't have my normal every other week parenting time. Yes. So your son, your son, if I understand it correctly, went through something very similar. So they were divorced in 2013 and uh, Wendy wanted to move from Tallahassee where they were living together down to Miami with the kids. And Dan had to go through uh, a legal battle to stop that from happening. Well, it's yes and no to the part. So what happened was, they put, this is prior, just prior to the divorce. They had they had made that clear that that was their intention mm-hmm. to be able to try to take the children. That was a very strong attempt uh, to try to take the children to live in south of, in South Florida. And um, when they petitioned the court in uh, t- just before 2013, they were totally uh, denied. It was 50-50 uh, arrangement. They had 50-50 custody, and and the court had already said that there was, they both had work and so forth. There was no reason for them to leave uh, Tallahassee with not having both parents active in the children's lives. So that became really the issue. And then their divorce came. It was like two, it was two separate sort of aspects. The divorce was coming anyway, mm-hmm. but the request had started earlier on. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, and mine went kind of the other way around, which is partially why it wasn't successful because we'd gone through the whole divorce and settled on what our custody arrangement was going to be. And then a month later she came through and said, well, now I want to move to Colorado with the kids, but I had already established, you know, what my parenting time was by then. But, but so all that happens, that's by 2013, they're divorced, that's settled. And then from there, I'll let you walk through what, what happened to Dan. Well, basically what happened is they just in terms of um, they both lived, for a year in, in uh, Tallahassee, um, where they shared custody and uh, the children would go to daycare and then Dan uh, and Wendy would pick them up from the daycare uh, center. Dan continued to work in Tallahassee. Uh, so did so did Wendy, for that matter. And, um, you know, her the family was very much against Wendy remaining in Tallahassee. That's sort of a big, big background factor here. Mm-hmm. And uh, and not not quietly opposing it, but very strongly uh, opposing it, and so forth. So that that was sort of there was tension. In other words, there was still tension after the divorce as mm-hmm. well, and that was the issue of moving never really resolved itself. Other than you know the feeling was that there was not going to be any any way out of Tallahassee. That that's really. You know, kind of. I think what the background is. Okay, so they've 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 got all this tension, and then one day, uh, from what I read, 
Dan's just sitting in a chair in his driveway when he ends up being murdered. Correct. Well, not quite in a chair. Danny, Danny, uh, he went, he, his normal routine on a, you know, on a good day, a normal day uh, would be to go drop his children off at, um, at the daycare center and go to the gym. Mm-hmm. A car followed him uh, from, from the gym to his house to his driveway really and i was on the phone with him until five minutes before this all happened and god bless god if you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. i he had to make a call normally his routine is okay mom coming into my driveway i'm you know home and goodbye and this time it was i have to make another call we have to get off and he called this other parent who was going to have his children at this he was a teacher i believe at the charter school and then as soon as danny entered into the driveway, uh, the other person on the phone even heard two shots and he was shot, but not died. He, he was, he was uh, taken to the hospital and he died at six, like six hours. Well, no, actually it's more than six, 11 a.m. He was shot and he died 2 a.m. on the next day on the July 19th. Okay. It's, I didn't realize, I knew he was on the phone when he said that somebody was in his driveway, but the, the other person was still on the phone with him when the shots were fired. Correct. And his neighbor came to that extent. His neighbor was very, very instrumental because um, his, his neighbor came and he heard the shots and he kind of went back and forth, but he's the one who James Geiger, his name is who saw the car. Mm-hmm. That was the major, major piece of evidence. You know, you're working in crime, right? Right. So that was, that was really, uh, he didn't, he wasn't so specific, but he, he um, sort of thought it's a, it's a Prius. And it was, and that really was a piece of evidence that within a year later, uh, when the police reported, they that broke the case, really, as that car and that neighbor, too. So we're very, very grateful uh, to the neighbor. Yeah, and, and po- police, from what I understand, immediately thought this was, this was a targeted hit. This wasn't just a random act of violence, which seems, you know, pretty obvious looking at it, where the car pulls into his driveway, shoots him twice, gets and then takes off without stealing anything um, or doing anything. So they, and they end up tracking down the perpetrators now. And, and I'll, I'll again, let you walk us through the legal case. Cause it gets very, it, it seems like it just keeps expanding out from, you know, once they find out who they believe committed the murders, it, it gets much bigger than that. Yes. Okay. So the way the process worked, there was quiet, relatively quiet for two years. I had, a frequent family conversations with law enforcement. And then in uh, May of uh, 2016, there was an arrest. So the, the process goes as following. Um, Garcia, Garcia was arrested first. Right after was uh, Luis Rivera, a little bit like, I think it's approximately 10 days, but we're talking 2016. Mm-hmm. And Luis Rivera later on, um, as suggested, and through a plea bargaining, uh, the name of Catherine McBanawa as a woman who was also participated. These were the three, what you call the murder for hire uh, people, mm-hmm. offenders. And um, and Catherine McBanawa was later arrested October 1st, 2016. So this was really the big, the big picture uh, part. Uh, it was, it's a, it's a conspiracy case, um, you know, from day one. And uh, and then other people over the period of time were labeled as co-conspirators, which 
relate to um, the natural uh, family of Wendy, her family of origin. But this is not yet, uh, other than just just now, in 2022, uh, Charlie Adelson, the brother okay, of Wendy Adelson, was just arrested. Right, just this past April. Just this past April. Yeah. So, um, to be clear, so so Sigfredo Garcia and Luis Riviera, they were the two that were well. They were they were convicted of carrying out correct the hit. Um, uh, Riviera pled guilty. So is Catherine. Excuse, yeah, excuse me to interrupt you. Catherine just had a retrial in May in May twenty sixth, and she was also convicted. Okay, May twenty twenty two twenty twenty two was a big year. If if you see what I'm saying. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So Garcia and Riviera are both convicted. Riviera pled guilty and got a 19 year sentence. And Garcia was, um, went to trials, found guilty and sentenced to life. And then this, this Katie Magbanu, is that right? Magbanu. Everybody said, I say McBanua. McBanua. Um, yeah. So she's also convicted of first degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder and solicitation of murder. And so she actually got a much greater sentence than the two people that carried out the hit. She was uh, sentenced to life in prison plus two consecutive 30-year sentences. Um, and then Just to go back, Garcia was, was, uh, also got life, life, but he, was, he had the death penalty on him. But it wasn't – the trial for the death penalty was not successful for Garcia, just to, okay. to put the crime into perspective. So, and he ended up with, with the life sentence. Um, so, um, Katie, so she, you said she was just retried, but so her conviction must've been overturned at some point. She had a mistrial. Her first, her first trial was with Garcia Uh in September 2019. Okay. And at that point she had a mistrial. There were people on the jury that, that didn't feel she was quite, you know, that guilty. And, uh, and then we just, just completed her trial now. Uh, in, in, in 2022. Okay. Um, and so did, what was at that point, nobody from the Adelson family had been implicated or, or arrested. What did they, what was the connection that Katie supposedly had to, that the state put forward as, as her connection to hire these two guys to kill Dan? Well, she was dating Charlie Adelson. Okay. So, here, there's a lot of you. I, you're very young, so you. I don't know if you remember the program Peyton Place. So there's a lot of intertwining here, right? Garcia and Catherine McBanua have two children together. Okay. They have two young children together. In the period of time, their marriage used to go on and off, and in a, one of the times when it was off, um, McBanua, Katie McBanua, dated Charlie Adelson. Okay. And that's. How the contact was made between Charlie and and Katie, uh, you know, McDanawa. Okay, so there, there's this this seemingly obvious connection there, and then uh, this year, finally, the arrest was made. Charlie Adelson, who's Wendy's brother, he's arrested, but he and was charged with the same charges uh, that Katie was charged with, which is first degree murder, conspiracy to commit murder, and solicitation of murder. Uh, but he has yet to stand trial, right? At this point, he just stands. That is years. correct. That is correct. On September 9th, he has a, what's called an Arthur hearing. It's coming up around the corner, mm-hmm. uh, which is still an attempt for him to have a bail. 
but um, you know, we don't know until we have that that hearing. But there has already been a case management on him. It's expected that his trial could be uh, somewhere between January and March of 2023. Okay, but it's you know it's still in the works. Now, and I've read that that Wendy. Charlie and their mother Donna have all been named as conspirators. Who who have they been? Is that just through the media, or have the police actually named them as conspirators? No, no, that would come through some of the prosecutor work in the earlier okay. parts, and, and yes, okay. Um, and and to be clear, I want to point out that uh, there have been no convictions through the Ad- Adelson's family, and they have denied any involvement at this point. So we're kind of waiting with bated breath to see where, where that trial goes. Yes, that's correct. All that's correct. So, you know, before we wrap things, I mean, the, the, the story is, um, this is one of the situations where you, I want to say, you know, it's a, it's a fascinating story, but I think that's for those of us that work in true crime, it becomes these stories. But for you, this is your life that you've dealt with. It was your son, uh, your grandparents, but your grandchildren obviously have been affected by this. So what what can people expect from your in your, your book release date is September twentieth and like I said I'm sure Erica is going right. to release yes. this right around there. Right, the book is called The Unveiling and it's a mother's reflection on murder, grief, and trial life. So the reason I called it The Unveiling is twofold. The first part is um, in the Jewish tradition after somebody is buried there is a ritual that you put a tombstone on about nine months later, six months later. And with the uh, putting on the placing a tombstone, there's also an inscription on the tombstone. There's writing. And it's a major uh, Jewish ritual and service. Now, why I'm writing about it and calling the book The Unveiling, that was really the beginning of my intense grief journey. So I'm mm-hmm. talking about the personal part of grief. So the first part I was in a daze. The first part I was in shock. But the actual depth of really going into a grief, you know, reaction came with that experience. And it's it's really like at the gravesite, you know, that expression. It's a terrible expression, but it's true. Like that, you know, you you're putting the nails in the coffin. So this is really what that whole experience is. That's the finality, right? Mm-hmm. After a tombstone's put on the gravesite, there's you're not turning back. Not that you were before, but that's an issue. The rather real reason for it is to show the public, uh, show the public what is a victim going through. Uh, you know, there's a lot of sensationalism in this case. There's a lot of legal interest in this case. That you know, it has federal evidence. It has state evidence. You're in the crime business. And, you know, and it, and it has conspiracy evidence. So people are intrigued, but it's to take away the sensationalism of the story and really show what, it, what does the victim feel like? What, what does the victim experience and going through the trials and showing the offenders are in front of you, right? How, do, how does that feel, the trial experience? How, how does it feel when you have all this legal language? I mean, I'm, my family. I have two children. They're both married. We're married to lawyers and my own kids are lawyers. Like the point I'm making is it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. You have to go through this in-depth, very difficult experience. And that's what I want to show the public to really re, re, you know, reveal to the public, go behind all these sensational stories, which this has. Mm-hmm. And that's the purpose really of the book. 
to demonstrate the experience of the victim through the trials and through the whole grief process. And it's called The Unveiling. It's called The Unveiling. It releases on September 20th of this year, uh, which is a couple weeks away from when uh, you and I are speaking. Uh, and this again, this should be released about that time. So September 20th, 2022. Uh, is Do you know, because we're, we're, we've got a bunch of podcast listeners on the uh, are hearing this. Do you know, is there going to be an audio version of the book or will it be just be? In- yes, the, uh, there, I'll tell you everything. There's an audio version uh, by Recorded Books. I believe it'll come out a few days later. Okay. It's also going to be on the Kindle. So the digital uh, versions are also uh, going to be, re- I believe they're going to be released the same September 20th. Every- Kobo, Kindle, and Excellent. so forth. So there you go. September 20th, the book is called The Unveiling. Uh, you can get it in, in as a book. You can get it on the Kindle. You can hear it as an audio book. Uh, and her name, the author, is Ruth Markle, the mother of Dan Markle, the victim in this case. Uh, and and in the meantime, if you want to just get a little better uh, grip on the story, you can check out Over My Dead Body, which uh, Ruth appears on and helped out with. Uh, and Ruth, thank you so much for for coming on and and, and sharing your story. And and I'm excited to uh, to check out the book because it's the perspective that you're coming from is very interesting. We don't hear it very often. Thank you so much, and that's what I want to get across. Another point of view. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. True Crime Binge is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Audioboom. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing. Music and artwork by Shane Yoder of PutThemInASong.com. Our website, TrueCrimeBinge.com, was created by Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com. If you're a listener and would like to recommend a future guest or a podcaster that would like to request an interview, you can do so right on our website. And again, that web address is TrueCrimeBinge.com. If you're enjoying the show, please do me a huge favor and take a minute to rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you're using to listen. And make sure you give us a follow on social media. We can be found everywhere at True Crime Binge. Thank you so much for listening and make sure you tune in next Wednesday morning for another podcaster, another case, and another True Crime Binge.